am here to read scripture and pray, but I'm going to just tell everyone, because I'm super excited, that Grace is coming home tonight. All right, so let's pray. (laughs) Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning and for these babies being baptized, Lord. I just pray that you will speak to us through your words this morning. Amen. All right, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Anconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them, all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Here we go. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, a different type of passage than we would normally uh, look at. You don't, you don't hear these, these types of things uh, very often in the church. Uh, they don't come up very often in Bible study, but there is a reason that we're looking at this passage today, and that is because of what uh, happened on Tuesday, which was um, so painful and terrifying, uh, and awful. And so the question for us today is, um, how, how do we process this? How do we respond to this? How do we think through this? And, and that, that question of how do we process this is, is so important because if you ignore it, and if, if that's the way you're going to process is by just kind of putting it over here and I'm not going to think about it, it, eventually what happens is you will become numb. Um, it, if you process it the wrong way, then you could end up with, with uh, sadness that doesn't end. You could end up with hatred that lashes out at anyone. You could end up with hopelessness and despair. Well, the answer, the answer that, that we have today of how do we process this, how do we think through this and pray through this, is going to come from a uh, very controversial psalm. Uh, This is what is called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory is a word that means curse. Now, this type of psalm taken literally would be very disturbing and and maybe even raise a lot more questions than it already does. But what we want to remember today is a couple of things. One, we want to remember that all Scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable for us. And we also want to remember that psalms They are songs, they are poetry, and through imagery and metaphor, what this psalm is going to do is it's going to give us the language that we need in a time like this. So, we're going to look at Psalm 58, but before we do that, let's pray one more time.
Father, would you be with us? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our hearts? Jesus, help us to see you in your word. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 58. I'm going to read through this uh, in sections as we go. And the, the question that we're starting with is, why did David write this psalm? We see this in the first two verses. He says, Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Little g, talking about uh, the rulers. Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on the earth. So here is David, and there are some people, there are some rulers, that's what's meant by this little g-gods, and they are making wrong laws. They are making wrong judgments. They are actually planning evil, and they are choosing violence. If you look in the verses ahead, verses 3 through 5, we read this The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. So here they're not just making wrong laws, wrong judgments, planning evil, choosing violence. What is also happening is if you look at the whole of their lives in verse 3, it is characterized by sin. If you look at verse 4, they are venomous. It is in their nature to harm. If you look at verse 5, they won't listen to reason. They stop up their own ears so that they can't even hear those that might be able to have some sort of an influence on them. And what we see and why David wrote this psalm is that there, there are these people who have given themselves over to evil. They are committing evil acts. And in fact, what, what I think is going on here is that they have actually become their own metaphor for evil itself. Why else would they be described with the actions of Satan? Why else would they be described as serpents unless they have become a metaphor for evil itself? And this is where we see that the first part of what we need to do. The first part is that we need to lament. It's something we're not very comfortable with in, in uh, Western culture. It's something we're not even that familiar with, but we need to lament. And here, lament is two things. It's two things that David is doing. It is acknowledging that something is wrong. It's acknowledging that something is wrong. And then the other part is allowing the heart to grieve because of that. David is recognizing, he's looking at these leaders and, and he's recognizing, he's looking at evil itself and he's recognizing this isn't how things should be. He, he's looking at them and he's saying, you're supposed to protect and instead you have chosen violence. And we can feel in his words that not only is he acknowledging that something is wrong, but he's also deeply bothered by it. Lament is the first step. For David, it is the first step for us, admitting that something is wrong and allowing the heart to feel grief. Listen, don't skip this. Don't skip this. 
The, the temptation for every one of us here is going to be to skip right over this into the next part. Don't skip this. It is uncomfortable. It, it, it doesn't really feel great. And so we try and move past it too quickly, but our souls need it. Our souls need lament. If you are bothered by what has happened this last week, if you feel deeply troubled, that's good. You should be. You should feel deeply troubled. And you should acknowledge that something has happened. It's not the way it should be. And then you should let your heart grieve that. In Romans 12, Paul writes, weep with those who weep. Lament is the first step. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel heavy. It's okay to be burdened. It's okay to say this is not the way life should be. And when you do that, and when you enter into that, that prepares your heart for what comes next. And what comes next is anger. Listen to these verses in 6 through 9. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. You cannot write those words and you cannot say those words without anger. David is very angry. Now, people will ask sometimes, they'll look and say, well, can Christians really be angry? Absolutely. Absolutely, they can be angry. And if you aren't, then you haven't been paying attention. Christians can be angry. David is angry. But here is the key. You have to be angry at the right thing. You have to be angry at the right thing. Here, David is not angry with God, although God can certainly handle our anger. You can think of 1 John that says, in God is no darkness at all. There is no sin at all in Him. David recognizes that he doesn't need to be angry with God. In fact, I love this this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, it is men, not God, who have produced racks, whips, prisons, slavery, guns, bayonets, and bombs. It is by human avarice or human stupidity, not by the churlishness of nature, that we have poverty and overwork. So, be angry at the right thing. God can handle your anger, but He's not the right point for it. Well, is David maybe, is he angry with those who have given themselves over to sin? That's kind of what it looks like. Maybe. But... Remember, as we read through this book, and as we see through this book, you you might even think of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount where He's talking and He's saying, don't even hate others. Don't, Don't murder in your heart. And so what we have to remember in order to make sense of this is we have to remember what I said at the first. These are people who have given themselves over. They have become a metaphor for what? For evil. For sin. They have become a metaphor for that. So where should the anger go? Where is David's anger going? It's going at what the metaphor represents. You want to be angry? 
Be angry at sin and evil. And let me tell you something else. It is right. It is right to hate sin. It is right to hate evil always. It is a disease. It is cancer. It is infecting God's good creation. It ruins people's lives just like it ruins things in your life. Hate evil. Hate sin. But as as Dane Ortland talks about in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, hate the disease, not the one who is consumed by it. Hate the disease. Hate everything about the disease. Hate how it pollutes. Hate how it corrupts systems and governments and families and individuals. Hate everything about the harm that it causes people. Hate everything about what happens when people who are infected by it give themselves over to it, but hate the disease. Hate evil. Hate sin. Jesus did. He did. And he knew the distinction. And that's why on the cross, with his arms stretched out, he could cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me tell you, if you don't get this, if you don't get this, you will never be able to forgive those who have deeply, deeply wronged you. Direct your anger at the right place. Hate evil. Hate sin. Hate what it does. But hate the disease. Now how do we do that? Because it's very hard. How do we do that? I want to suggest that we pray the Psalms. That we pray the Psalms. Look again at these verses 6-9. through In his anger, what does David pray against the thing the metaphor represents. What is David praying against evil and wickedness? In verse 6, he addresses God and he says, Oh God, break the teeth in their mouth. He's saying, God, you do something. Teeth, it's, it's the power to harm. It's the thing that, that gives the, the bite an effect. And he's saying, God, break evil's power. Break it out of their mouth. Pull their teeth. Get rid of evil's power. And then he goes on to say, to say, pour them out. Pour evil out. Let it vanish like water. Have any of you poured water on your driveway on a hot summer day? It's gone. He's saying, make evil evaporate. Make it disappear. He's saying, break the tip of the arrow. So even if it fires, it can't kill. And then verse 8, he's saying, dissolve evil away like a snail. And I won't ask how many of you have done that. (laughs) Dissolve it away. The last part of verse 8 seems very, very brutal. But remember this. It's a metaphor. What is evil's child? What is evil's child? What does evil produce? More evil. More harm, more hurt, more pain. And what is he saying? He's saying, stop. Stop it. Stop it before it produces more. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. Right? Just like this murderer who let the evil committed against him become his own and he turned it and he made it greater. David's prayer is stop the cycle of sin that produces more sin, more harm, and more pain. That's what he's saying there in the last part of verse 8. Don't even let it see the sun. 
And then in verse 9, he says, sweep evil away forever. Listen, that is the prayer. That is the prayer of a lamenting and an angry heart. God put an end to evil. Take away its power. Get rid of it. Throw it in the fire. Stop evil from causing more evil. God, do this forever. And that is a prayer that does some good. It is a prayer that does some good. That lament, grieve what's been done, see what has been done, and that anger. Cry out to God to act against evil in a powerful, powerful way. And recognize He may use you as part of that plan for that. And then as you pray, as you pray, and as you pray these things, what happens is what we see in the last two verses of this psalm is it begins to turn our eyes toward an expectation of redemption. Verses 10 through 11, it says, The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance of God, not of man. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. We'll talk about that. Mankind will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. It doesn't look like it at first, but this is actually a turn toward expecting God's redemption. This is a turn toward expecting God to do something good out of all of the awful that's happened. Verse 10, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. In fact, I I told a couple of people that this is what we're preaching on. They're like, bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. Really? It sounds bad. But what if everything is stolen from you and you are left naked and bleeding on the street? What if politics or, or social media or whatever it is are turning your family members into enemies? What if there is a dictator who is killing grandparents, kids, grandkids? What if there is a drug epidemic destroying people's lives? What is the cry of the heart? The cry of the heart is, God, stop them and build something better. How is verse 10 something better? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. How is verse 10 something better? Because what happens when you lose all your blood? What happens? David is looking at evil and he is saying, God, I know that someday evil, evil itself will bleed out on the street and the righteous will still be standing. That's the metaphor. God, let evil be done. Let it, let it bleed out. Let it be finished and the righteous will still be standing. And won't you be glad in that day? Won't you be glad when there are no more kids starving because there are nations and people who are hoarding? Won't you be glad when there are no more wars because of greed, when there's no more human trafficking? Won't you be glad when there are no more kids hiding under a desk at school? Won't you be glad? Won't you rejoice in that day? Won't you look up and say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Won't you be glad when that happens? Look for redemption. We lament the right way. We have anger the right way. And then we look toward redemption. That great day that will come. Now how? How do we know? 
How do we know that this will happen? Put very simply, we know because of Jesus. We know because of Jesus. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller preaching to the people of New York City on the Sunday after 9-11. He says this. He says, Christianity alone of all the religions tells us that God has specifically loved us. God lost His Son in an unjust attack. Only Christianity tells us that God has suffered. When somebody says to me, I don't know that God cares about suffering, I say, yes, He does. And they say, how do you know? If I were in any other religion, I wouldn't know what to say. But the proof is that He Himself was willing to suffer. I don't know why he hasn't ended suffering and evil by now, but the fact that he was willing to be involved and that he, got, that he himself got involved is proof. He cares. He is not remote. He is not away from us. Jesus is with us. He suffered. He died. And he rose again. Christ is risen. That's what we just celebrated in Easter. That's what we celebrate every week. That's actually what we celebrate in baptism is that Christ is risen. And he proved in that, that if God can take the worst thing that has ever happened and he can turn that into our redemption, then he can do it again. And he will do it again and again and again and again until the day that he puts evil away for good. So I want to leave you with this. Lament. Lament. Don't skip that. Be angry. Be angry at evil and at the horrible things it accomplishes through willing participants. Ask God to intervene. Consider that He may use you to do it. And then look to Jesus and look to the cross and look to the empty tomb and what He accomplished. And believe. Believe in His redemption that someday all those who are made righteous in Christ will stand. Believe in His redemption. I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's the copy you guys have. She says this, And the king says, Look, God and His children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky, says, Look, I am making everything new. Let's pray. Jesus, we see evil at work in this world. Lord, this is not the world that you wanted for us so long ago when you made it. God, our hearts grieve the wickedness we see and what it accomplishes. But Lord, we know that you are greater than all of that. You are greater than all of that. So God, we ask that you would put an end to it. Lord, we see that you've put an end 
to the cycle in our hearts on the cross, that you offer that to us, that you offer to make your enemies friends, to make the unrighteous righteous, to make the dirty clean. Lord, we cling to that, and we cling to that hope, and we cling to the day that you will make all things new. And so, Lord, we say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. It is in your precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing together?